0: Welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa. And this is my weekly podcast in which I talk about a wide variety of writing-related topics. That's a little intro I came up with toward the end of Season 1, just to give... Anybody who might be stumbling upon this show for the first time, an idea of what it's about. Uh, I realized after doing this for a number of months, it's probably a good idea to include a short little bit about what the podcast is about at the beginning of every episode. And then season two started up a few weeks ago, and I completely forgot about doing it until I was putting this episode together because that's how i roll (laughs) so i'm going to try to include that little intro at the beginning of every episode going forward i'm not going to promise it because again i tend to forget stuff um so anyway without any more of that i had a really wonderful conversation several nights ago with a very talented writer uh evie jacob Evie was brought to my attention by Tim Boffman, who was my guest last week. And I am really, really glad that I had the chance to talk to Evie because uh, I had a list of questions based on the links that she gave me um, about things that just sounded fascinating. But then once we started talking, uh, we just ended up going into a number of areas that I did not expect us to get into, but I'm so glad we talked about them because I think that there are things that we need to talk about, both as writers and just on a general societal level. So I really, really think you're all going to get a lot out of this conversation. And with no further ado, here is my conversation with Evie. Enjoy.
1: So my guest today is Evie Jacob. Uh, She is still waiting for her superpowers to manifest. I really like this bio. So in the meantime, she drinks a lot of tea and writes a lot of words. She lives in Las Vegas where she spends her time making velociraptor sounds and also maybe taking the occasional nap. She often writes with P.E. Crawford, the pair publishing under the name Jacob Crawford, Evie welcome to my show i am really happy to have you on and uh thanks for talking to me
2: oh thanks so much for having me marissa i'm really excited to uh to be on and to get to chat with you a little bit
1: same here um i guess i want to start by asking so you write with p.e crawford as jacob crawford i saw in um your bio how did that partnership come about
2: well that's my mom actually okay so (laughs) it came about um I would like, I would write and I would brainstorm stories, and she was, she's also really creative, so she would start to do that with me, and then eventually it just turned into us brainstorming stories together and starting to write them together. And we realized that we had a lot of fun that way. It kind of keeps writing from becoming a lonely pursuit. One thing I hear from a lot of other writers is they feel kind of isolated and on their own while they're in the middle of the writing journey. And I've kind of gotten to avoid that because I have this like built in buddy who's in the thick of it with me. And, and we work really well together. We always have. So it's been great.
1: That's fantastic. Now, if you don't mind talking a little bit about what your process is like, uh, do you write to, at the same time a lot? Or is it like you were saying you would bring a story to her and she take a look at it? Is it more of that? Or is it a little of both?
2: So it's, it depends, like sometimes one of us will come up with a core story idea. Sometimes we'll kind of come up with it together, like in the middle of a conversation, but there are times when one of us will come together and say, Hey, I thought of this. And then we'll just kind of sit there and start talking and just go in all directions, go completely wild, um, discuss everything. And then we start the outlining process and like building our world, building our characters. A lot of talking, a lot of tea, and then <laughs> and then it's time to, like, sit down and start to actually physically write the book. Um, I do more of that than my mom does. Uh, English is her fourth language. So oh, wow. She's, yeah, So and she's really good at it, but she's not quite as confident, so I'll, I'm usually sitting near her while I'm writing, and we'll bounce, you know, dialogue ideas off each other, or I'll, like... Oh, if I'm stuck on a passage or something, she can help me come up with ideas, but I do mostly like the physical typing, but it's still very much a collaborative process that we do together.
1: That is really, that is really fascinating. Um, I, I've always been really, um, intrigued by writers that, now does she write in any of the other languages or is it primarily in English or...
2: It's primarily English, yeah. And then she's she's actually starting to do more writing now. I've been encouraging her. I'm like, you're a good writer, and like, you can do this. So she's starting to actually do more actual writing on her own, um, which is great. And she's she's completely fluent in English. Like, she can absolutely write. I think it's just kind of a confidence thing. Which, I mean, don't we all have confidence issues with our writing?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I just, I, I find that fascinating because I remember uh, reading about, like, writers that English was not their first language, but they they just, they fell in love with the language and their their literature was so rich. It's almost like sometimes in some, like, some of them might even write better than writers who's, like, Nabok- Nabokov was an example. I, I think yeah. he wrote most of his, at least his well-known novels, he wrote in English, even though yeah. he... I think you learned at a, at a later date. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I can see that in her because like I said, like I'll be writing, she'll be there.
2: She'll give me prose and, and like lines and stuff like that. And she comes up with beautiful stuff. So I'm like, I know that if she were to write her own book one day, say like she'd do an amazing job. Um, and I guess she's, she's really, good. she's really smart and she's really creative and she, she speaks almost five languages actually. She's like, Halfway fluent in French as well. Wow. (laughs) So, but yeah, so it's, it's a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's cool when you have someone you work really well with. My mom and I have always worked really well together. Like we don't have to talk sometimes. We just move around each other so seamlessly. So it's interesting how well that translates to writing as well.
1: That is fantastic. Now, another question I had, um, I'm I was a little curious uh was there a reason why you chose the name Jacob Crawford like it being a male name or is that just like maybe one of a few names that you write under so
2: it's one of a few names we have a couple others planned. Jacob Crawford just ended up working out because it's both our last names okay um so it just and it just sounded kind of cool um male name I don't really care one way or another I mean there is something to like books by male authors might sell better, but I'm not particularly concerned with that, especially for young adults. Um,
3: I don't think that's quite the same factor that it is maybe with like adult literature, um, and especially in this day and age,
2: but I think it just sounded cool as a name and we liked that our two last names sounded like one
3: person's name.
1: Yeah, that does work out really well. Um, that definitely makes sense. Now for writers who maybe, um, you're definitely right about writing being seen as very solitary and a lot of writers maybe would be interested in collaborating. What what are some tips you would give to writers who are maybe looking to find a writing partner and do some collaborative writing like you do?
2: I would make sure before you do anything like that that there's a strong compatibility between the two of you because it's really like such a business partnership almost like marriage kind of thing like you're getting so you're getting so close to this person like we all pour so much of our hearts and souls into our stories you love them you love the characters so if you're world building and character building with someone who you don't see eye to eye with it can get really tricky and uh like I can see that it would be very uncomfortable to do this with someone who didn't like share a lot of worldviews and have a lot of the same um beliefs and priorities like she and I both want to help people and kind of educational and supportive to pe- people in the world who need that stuff through art literature. And I think so that that vision, um, the, you know, the outlook on the world, they kind of need to align. And then also it should just be someone who you have fun with. Um, I don't think you need to necessarily mesh on things like genre or style as much. I think you can actually create something really cool, even if you don't see see eye to eye on that, that's all superficial it's really that core like do i get along with this human being and can i spend a lot of time with them and work through some complicated problems with them and uh if you have
1: that i think it could be a lot of fun very cool pursuit yeah definitely it sounds like that um now uh i saw that you're currently writing in young adult paranormal sci-fi um what are some of your influences As far as writing in those genres, and I'm really impressed that there are like a few genres in there.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Deciding on the genre for this series was so tricky. I remember sitting there being like, what is this mess of a story that I wrote? (laughs) Um, I think one of my biggest influences overall is um, the Animorph series by K.A. Applegate. I read that when I was very young, like six years old or something like that, when I got the first book. And I read all of them, and I loved them. And I think that was the first thing that really got me interested in, like, writing and building my own world. And there is sci-fi. The paranormal aspect actually kind of surprised me. I never read a ton of stories like that. I was never super into that genre. But one day what happened is my mom and I were talking about um, ghosts. And we like to sometimes sit there and discuss if if this unknown phenomenon was real what would the science behind it be? What would the physics reason for this thing existing be? So we were trying to like logic and reason and science ghosts into existence. And I think we just got really fascinated with the idea of
1: ghosts from a scientific perspective. And I I love playing with like paranormal or mythical concepts from a scientific perspective. So
3: I was like, Oh, that'll be a lot of fun to write about.
2: So that's kind of where this branched off into
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I love paranormal stuff. I don't really write paranormal stuff, but I love, like, uh, reading books on it and watching movies and TV shows, and I listen to quite a few paranormal podcasts, so it's definitely a fascinating genre. How about, like, more of sci-fi? Like, how about that aspect?
2: I think that's honestly just because I like the scientific element of things so much, because I like... Like, I've always liked about mechanics and engineering, and then, of course, like, science, biology, physics. So I think I couldn't help but put some sci-fi into it. And and then as the story progresses, like, it starts with ghosts, but then it starts to move into realms where there's a little more going on. There's a little more, like, that sci-fi element starts to come through. Um, So it was just kind of a a fun blending of genres to where the book kind of starts out, like a girl moves into a house and it's haunted and it's like that basic premise that you see so often and then it just kind of spirals from there and I think it was just kind of fun for us to take the concept of, you know, normal haunting story and then flip it around and twist it and go in weird directions with it instead of keeping it to the more standard, like, yes, there's a ghost and you have to exercise it or whatever.
1: Right. And how about the, uh, how about YA? Like, do you consider, uh, I guess I'll start with here. Do you consider YA its own genre? Because I saw some. I remember people were debating whether YA is its own genre or whether it's a subgenre. Like, what's your take on that?
2: Um, I definitely feel like YA has its own feel to it. I don't know that I call it its own genre in and of itself, but there's a definite difference that I see between. You know, when you read adult fiction, or when you read, like, young adult fiction, there is a stylistic difference, I think. I think I'd like to explore adult fiction someday, but I think my natural inclination to include these more fantastical elements in the story just leads me to young adult a little more.
1: That's very interesting. There's a lot that you're saying that really... I've, But I don't think I've had um, a writer on yet who, j- who mainly writes YA, so this is, this oh, is cool. great. And it's a genre that I... I don't really write in but like all the YA books I've read I've really liked. Um, This is great. Now, what was it like to put the shadows together? I guess if you want to talk a little bit about the shadows and what that process was like um, putting it together. I also noticed on, on Amazon it said that you're on your second edition so maybe what are some of the ways that it changed from the first edition? Yeah, so let's see. So the first book, it was really just, it was that first book, that first
2: writing experience where it might take you like years. I think technically I worked on this book for like a decade, my mom and I, and you know, you you write it, you set it aside, you work on something else, you come back to it. It's evolved a lot. It wasn't intended to be a series when I first started it. It also wasn't intended to be a paranormal sci-fi. It was more just a real world mystery, and it was one book. And the ensemble cast wasn't present. Like, it really expanded and grew and took on a life of its own. I assimilated characters from other stories into this. Um, There are two characters named Derek and Emily. They weren't part of the original story. They were in their own book entirely. And then I realized that I could kind of take these two stories and bring them together and then have an entire series instead of just two standalone books. So it was quite the process. And the thing I feel the edition change, by the way, was simply to amend the, um, the name to say Jacob Crawford. It was, my mom was kind of like, oh, you should just publish it in your name. And then I, I let her talk me into it. And then I finally was like, no, it's ours. We wrote it together. I don't feel right about it. So the second edition was just to put it in its rightful place, I suppose. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, so expanding on your question, So to write the first book, like I said, it was probably a decade. There was really no limit. There was really no deadline. We're self-published. So it was more of like self-imposed deadlines. Writing a second book now has been really interesting because it's a completely different world. It's, I've already written a book. Yes, but this is a whole new ballgame. There's an audience. There's kind of a, you can't let too long go between the first and second book. Um, there's also an established canon that you can't change. Like, when I was writing the first book, we could do whatever we wanted. We could just change stuff willy-nilly, and it didn't matter. And now it's like, well, that's a cool idea, but we can't implement it because it would directly contradict the first book. So it's, it's been an adventure.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. I find it really interesting that you mentioned the audience because I know that, like, for Jean, like a lot of genre books there definitely is an audience and um how much do you would you say that a writer who writes in these genres should consider the audience when they're writing and how they might react especially if it's like a second book or something like that you know the audience really loved the first book how I guess how cognizant should you be as a writer of what your audience might want as opposed to I guess what you what you want
2: that's a good question, and if I'm being completely <laughs> honest, when I'm writing, I, I, I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like I don't care. I don't think about the audience very much.
3: Um, I think about the story, and I think about what's right for the story and what's honest for the
2: characters, and um, if anything, I think I write for who I was when I was a kid. I write the books that I wanted to read when I was 16, Yeah. and... And I just, I I don't know, I'm very, I'm so clearly focused on that. I kind of don't worry too much about the audience. I mean, of course I want to produce a quality book. I want it to live up to the original book, all of that. But it's less motivated. I've heard other writers talk about the pressure that they feel. I don't feel pressure. At most I might feel responsibility to tell this story earnestly and correctly and to the best of my ability
1: right yeah that makes sense i do think it's important for a writer to write something that they they want to write because uh, otherwise how can there be any really like heart and soul in it yeah Um, you have to love it exactly and um yeah i i noticed what you said about that i think you might have said it a while back but you didn't originally conceive of this book as a series when you started it and actually i had tim boffman on last week and I asked yeah. him about his book coming out, and then I said, "But it's it's a series." And I said that right away. And afterwards, I was like, "Oops, maybe I shouldn't have asked about that because obviously his first book is, well, it's not his first book, but it's it's his first novel." And I just saw on Amazon yeah. in the pre order it's going to be the first book in his series. And like I asked him that question, and I'm like, "Oh God, I'm so sorry I asked." <laughs>
2: Pretty, he's pretty solid in his series. He and I have done a lot of, um, like, brainstorming and, and discussion. He kicks a lot of ideas off me. I do the same with him. And uh, he's got his series pretty mapped out. He's committed. Okay. He's in it for the long haul.
1: Yeah, that it, it definitely sounds like that. And how about you? Do you, uh, do you know, like, at this point uh, about how long you would want this series to go on or how long maybe you think it could go on or do you not? Really uh, I have that, right? I
2: have it very exact. Um, <laughs> it's going to be seven book series and it's going to have five side novellas. It was originally going to be four, wow. but I added a fifth. Yeah. And, um, and actually the next thing up for me to work on is one of the side novellas. So the story structure of the novels, in case um, anyone hasn't read them, which is probably the case, <laughs> is it's told first person perspective from Roslyn. Uh, the main character. She's narrating the the books, and she narrates the entire main series. So all the main seven books will be from Roslyn's perspective. But the five side novellas are from her friends, the other characters. It's kind of an ensemble cast. They're all with her all the time. they got like a Scooby gang kind of thing happening. And I've just always liked the idea of shifting perspectives and rotating points of views, because you get to see situations and people from different angles, and I've always loved that, because you know, Roslyn might see herself one way and then her best friend sees her this way. And I find that kind of stuff very interesting. You know, the concept of, of the self and reality and do those even exist in a, you know, quantifiable, confirmable way, or are they all subjective? So boiling that down, I just wanted to play with the idea of like, okay, what does this look like from one of the other characters' perspectives? How does, how does, you know, this person or that person see the same thing that Rosalind is in? So this first novella is gonna to be told from the perspective of Ford, who is a fan favorite. He's a lot of fun to write. He's like goofy and
3: fun, but very kind. And I'm very much looking forward to writing from his perspective
2: because he's just a fun, fun character to write.
1: Wow. That's, uh, that's really interesting too. Um, do you, if you have these characters, you want to give them, uh, their own personality, maybe their own style of speaking, do you find that difficult at all? Or is that, or?
2: It can be tricky for sure. Cause you know, you're you and you have a certain style to your writing and your speech. And then it's, it can happen where your characters all just kind of sound like you. And so I think Rosalind definitely ended up sounding a lot like me, like that just kind of ended up being my voice coming through her, which is natural. She's the the main character I'm writing for the most, so she's going to slip into my headspace the most. But I find knowing your characters very well helps. It's kind of like, I know not everyone can do this, but for instance, if I know somebody very well and you say like, this person said this i can hear it in my head in their voice the inflection and the mannerism that they would say it with so it's almost the same for the characters i get to know them very well before i write one word i just i know them so well i know their interests their habits their what they look like their personalities just i know them through and through like a good friend so then when i go to write them i kind of feel like well this is just what they would say like for instance ford is very jokey and goofy and like silly in ways that i'm not and his dialogue just flows so easy i don't even know where it comes from like i'm not even like this (laughs) but i know him so well and he's so his his energy is so much that it just kind of flows out um i think there's also something to be said for you know it's it's a joke that like oh writers base their characters off the people in their life and it's like well you kind of can't help it first of all because everything that you create is a reflection of you but also, that's not a bad way to add variety to your characters, you know, like, you'll go, well, my best friend is like this, so I'll have a character act like that, because it's not something I would do.
3: Yeah. So it's not going to sound like me, but it's going to sound like someone else. Um, I definitely find some
2: characters are easier write than others. Like I said, Ford is very easy. Another one that's easy in this book is also Hazel. They're like the more upbeat ones. And then, but there's another one, he's very quiet, his name is Derek, and he's kind of hard to pull thoughts from, he's he's more reserved, he's more um, private, and he's quiet, so I can find myself going, what's he going to say here? Um, So sometimes you have to sit and think about it, and then sometimes it just flows, and I find that the better you know the characters, the more you can get into that. I remember one time I had a critique of a chapter, and the woman critiquing it wanted this is a completely different story she wanted the main character to have snuck out
1: hmm. instead of
2: having permission to leave
1: wow and i was like <laughs> he would never do that his friend would do that in a heartbeat his friend would sneak out but he would never do that he's not that kind of kid he's a good kid he's a don't sneak out without permission kind of kid so i think just having that certainty of like now this person would never do that thing or this person would absolutely do that thing is good
2: Like I said, I think it all boils down to knowing them very well and kind of just getting a sense for who they are and how they see the world, which again, I clearly like that because I like that rotating perspective thing. So that's kind of like a place that I enjoy exploring. And maybe that's why it's not too hard for me to slip into different voices, though. I definitely find myself working on that at times. It can be challenging.
1: That's really, that's really interesting. What you said about knowing your character, I don't know if you've, like, done any, like, any kind of theater or acting or anything like that, but, I mean, I have, I've, I've done some, I was doing a lot of plays for a few years, and, um, that's what you said reminded me of, uh, like, when you're, when you're, doing a play, or maybe even writing a play, because um, I've, I've done a little bit of that too, it's really important to know your characters as well. Like, knowing mm-hmm. everything about, especially if you're going to portray them on a stage, knowing everything about your character. So what you said actually reminded me so much of that. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really It, it, it makes
2: a lot of sense, and... And I've, I've, you've heard this before, both in acting and in writing. It's like you have to know stuff, even if it's not going to come up in the story, because that helps you exactly. create a more complete person. You know, it, how they feel about something might never actually make it on the page, but you should know that. It should be in the back of your mind.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's, I think that's great for a writer to keep in mind. So I wanted to ask you. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to all of the, the websites you gave me. I noticed the uh, Ravenheart Press. First of all, I thought that was a great website. Um, please, if you could talk a little bit about putting that together and also maintaining it. Because I noticed there's a blog on there. There's a Friends of Ravenheart Press. I, I, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. I thought the art was fantastic. Oh. I'm glad you like it. That that was all me—that was me sitting there with WordPress, going, "What's this do?"
2: and just messing that's around. Awesome. <laughs> and I make it sound like I didn't know what I was doing. I used to have a small business where I built websites and oh, maintained okay. them, so I wasn't completely out of my depth. But it's also, you know, it's, it was something that I was just kind of exploring and having fun with on my own. Um, and if you mentioned the blog posts, you'll see that that's not regularly updated. I need to get back on on the track <laughs> with that. <laughs> but yeah, so so like the friends of Ravenheart thing is just a way to like showcase people who I know, like my fellow writer friends, I don't think I've added Tim to it. I really should. Um, like I said, I haven't updated it in forever. I need to get on that. But yeah, it's, it was just a great way to, you know, discuss the writing process. Like I have a fun post on there that I've shared several times and it is about my writing process. I have pictures, I have sketches, I have all sorts of stuff. And it was just really fun to participate. I got to do a couple book cover reveals or reviews for friends releases. And, uh, it's just a fun way to engage with the community. And I just, I think it's good to have your little home on the internet. Social media is great, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram and stuff like that. I'm most active on Twitter for sure, but it's still good to have like your own domain just so you can drop your links and set it up the way you like it and lead people to one
3: particular page. Like I like having it because if someone goes, I want to read your work, and you go right here, and all the links are there, and I don't have to direct you to multiple different sites or anything like that.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's really uh, good. Now, for a writer who maybe uh, I like to ask every once in a while, when I have somebody on the show, um, if a writer is not that used to using social media, what 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 do you think are the best ways for them to? go about maybe starting to use uh, Twitter as opposed to maybe the other sites? Because I'm also, I think, on Twitter more than the other uh, platforms. Like, what? how would you approach that if you were a new writer? Like, what would you suggest to somebody trying to navigate their way around?
2: Yeah. So the way I approached it, um, one of the earliest things I did with my Twitter was I got on there and then i found the three-day novel contest and my mom and i decided to do that oh wow and i was using the yeah it was fun it was a challenge and i was using the hashtag for it and i was just kind of engaging with everyone on there and i got a good amount of followers from that and i made some writer friends and then a lot of them had bigger follower counts so i would start engaging in that community and from there it's it's really just it's engaging
3: but I think the trick is to engage earnestly. You know, don't put on a facade or a show. Don't
2: pretend to be something you're not. Like this is boilerplate advice you get from everywhere, but it's true. Just be yourself. Just what's your sense of humor? What's the kind of joke you like to make? I like to keep it light because I feel like there's so many places on the internet where things get so heavy and so dark. Yeah. And that's okay because there's there's heavy, dark stuff to talk about and it needs to be addressed. But at the same time, like it's also okay to be a respite. So maybe you're someone who wants to talk about those heavier topics. Maybe you're not. It's okay. I don't think either one is wrong or right. I think it just has to be very true to you. Um, one thing I do a lot of, which I didn't mean for this to become my brand, but it has, is I'll do these um, threads on like mental health and how society affects mental health and um, various disorders. A lot of my focus is like for outsiders to kind of help them understand what people with these disorders or issues are going through. Yeah. Um, just cause it can be hard. If you've never experienced something, you don't have the framework for it. So that's one thing I'll talk about, but I also try to keep it light. I do memes. I kind of live tweet while I'm writing, like whenever I'm editing wow. or writing, you know, because I'm, I'm yelling about it on Twitter and I'm sharing funny lines and I'm making stupid commentary. <laughs> um, and it's just a lot of fun. And then when your friends do stuff, you can share it and you can support them and, and, cheer them on, and it's built such a cool community for me. I mean, I didn't expect Twitter to be anything but a distraction, but it ended, actually ended up giving me like genuine friendships and uh, career opportunities. I got a lot of chances to do cool stuff. I wow. Even this interview is <laughs> through Twitter,
1: so. <laughs> um, that is great. Quite... So, yeah, get on
2: there and engage would be my, my advice. Get on there, engage. People are pretty friendly. Use the writer community hashtag
1: and get involved. Yeah, I think that's great. I found what you said about live tweeting while you're writing really interesting because um, <laughs> I'm kind of the opposite. I was doing nano last month, and like when I was when I was writing, like when I would sit down to write for those few hours, I would actually put my phone in another room. So I'd, if I had my phone in my room, I would be looking at it too much. So I have to like get it out of the way yeah. so I admire that you can do that
2: <laughs> yeah I, I don't know why I do it. it it would probably be more productive to just sit down and write but I, I don't know I'll have, have this thing and I'm like I want to share this this line or this moment or just this feeling of like I'm so frustrated with this this one thing and I know it resonates with other writers so it can be kind of fun to just be like this is where I am right now hit it and then everyone goes yeah me too <laughs> <laughs>
1: And uh, I also found what you said about um, the mental health uh, posts you do really um, interesting. Is that something that you include or mention a lot in your writing, or is that more of a like a side thing? It is you? in the writing. Um, so, actually, one of the most interesting comments I've gotten for the first book,
3: which has been out since 2017, is how well I wrote Anxiety, because Rosalind, the main character, is very anxious.
2: She has... I mean, she has ghosts in her house, so obviously that's disturbing, but she also, like, has an anxiety disorder, and she's coping with it, and actually, one of the things I'm exploring in the series is, so she starts the series out in a book one, she's very anti going to therapy, getting medicated, she doesn't want anything to do with that, she's had some trauma around it, and she's really freaked out by it, and part of my goal for the series is to have her kind of go on this journey through which she starts to appreciate you know the support systems out there for mental health and the resources available and learning to utilize them and trust them and let them help her because i think that's something that we all kind of go through to varying degrees of like you know your your basic knowledge of mental health care is usually pretty flawed and weird because yeah. it's all like based on the media yeah. and your one uncle who had a really bad experience one time or something And then like you start to get into it and you're like, Oh, this actually, like it can be good. It can be bad. It can be good. Like anything else it's got, it's bad size. It's got, it's good size. It's got doctors who don't care. And then it has doctors who love you truly and want to help you. Yeah. So I kind of want to demystify it a little bit, take away some of that stigma and and also explore disorders. Like one of the characters has OCD. I have that. So it's just kind of like self insert thing there, but I want to, I want to explore, um, various disorders and things that people struggle with, and I think fiction is a good way to do that because you can relate to characters, you can see them in different situations, you can kind of feel and hear their perspective, and you can start to get a better appreciation for it, whether you have that thing or you just are learning about it in case you encounter someone with it. Either way, I think that's valuable. Um, I have a degree in psychology, and my original goal was to actually be a child psychologist, so I was um, working towards that. And my thesis was heavily on, like, abnormal psychology. I don't love the term abnormal psychology, but yeah. that's what they call it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and get another thing to work on. Um, anyway, so I have – and then I have a lot of experience with, um, you know, just my own mental health, the mental health of my friends. I was always the person everyone came to yeah. for support, guidance. So I feel like I kind of have been playing therapist my whole life. And then, and then I just research it endlessly. I'm just fascinated by it. So I'm just always – Learning about it, so when I go on Twitter, I just sometimes it just happens. I'll be like, "Hey, I need to go on about you know this particular thing and how it's misunderstood and how people perceive it the wrong way, and I want to clear this up or something." Um, in fiction, it's a little more structured. It's a little more planned out, um, and and sometimes I can feel a little nervous about that. Like there is, and I don't want to give spoilers for the book, but there's a kind of undercurrent in the first book. Uh, Roslyn's very angry about something that happened to her. And I was a little worried to write it because I didn't want it to seem like I was angry at people going through this kind of thing. Right. But the reality is, a 16 year old who was directly harmed by it would be angry. And she would have to work through that anger, but she has to start in anger. That would be the honest representation of, you know, where a hurt, sad, scared teenager is going to come from. So it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to sound like I'm mad, but I also, I need to be honest about how this character feels. That was a little nerve wracking, but at the same time, you know, yeah, people are probably going to get offended sometimes by what you write. They're going to get hurt. They're going to see it through a different lens. Um, The intention is never to hurt,
3: but we're all our own people and sometimes we're disturbed by different things. And I respect that. I understand that. I do the best I can to minimize
2: it. But... Like I said, life is messy, and I have to be true to the character to a degree. If I'm going to have her go on this journey, she has to start in this place so that she can get here. I think the overall result will be positive, but it's also, it's a process, so it's tricky. It's tricky, but I like, I like writing about it. I think it's important,
1: and uh, I think it's
2: also kind of an outlet for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, the what I've been working on is goes over mental health issues as well. So, uh, and I think it's very important, especially now with the pandemic. A, a lot of people have been suffering more than um, normal, or they've even just this isolation has been bringing out oh, problems that absolutely they might not have been aware of. So, absolutely, um, this has been. I mean, any high stress situation,
2: any traumatic event, which this has been both of those in spades, and for a long duration. Um, can exacerbate pre-existing conditions, or even make you aware of something you didn't know you even had. And then to top it off, you know, it's you're you're now living and working in strange conditions. Everyone around you is living and working in strange conditions. Yeah. One thing that we usually have going for us is, if we're personally going through a crisis, everyone else is kind of okay, and that can suck and feel lonely. But it can also kind of help you keep, like, your life in order. Like, okay, like, I'm freaking out, but everyone else is just going around, like, business as usual, life is, it always unfolds, and it kind of keeps you on track. Now no one is business as usual, everything is weird, so there's nothing to keep you grounded, and there's no one for you to lean on either, because you feel like everyone else is having a crisis. Um, I, I fared pretty well through
1: 2020.
2: Yeah. I just, I, I was just... Last, I was just one of those people who was doing okay, my, my work situation was stable, my living situation was stable, I've been quarantining with people I do very well with, and like yeah. they're fun to be around and I enjoy their company, so I was in a good position, so I did try to be that person for other people to lean on if they were having That's a good. hard time, um, just because I felt like I could do that, Like I can provide can that. And then also, I, I think it's going to go into all our writing. You know, as we, as we create, we're going to write this pain into stuff. We can't help it. It was scary. Actually, there's some scenes from the second book that are weirdly paralleled with the pandemic. And it's weird because I wrote the second book in 2015. um, And I've just been editing it, but like all those scenes were written already. So going through it this year and finishing the edits and stuff was really bizarre. Cause I was like, what was, what was
1: 2015 Evie up to? like, what did she know? Um, um, thank you for talking about that. I really, uh, I really appreciate it because again, I think this is a very important topic and I think, um, it's, I think it's great to demystify it. I think we need to, um, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Now, uh, when you're not writing with, P.E. Crawford, what kind of stuff do you like to write or what maybe what kind of stuff would you maybe want to write about on your own or do you not really think about that so much?
2: I have some projects. Yeah, I have some projects. Um, like I have a short story published in an anthology
1: that was, that was just me. And that's actually one of my favorite pieces. It's very short, but it's the, um, manifest reality anthology i had to look at it oh wow That's um, great <laughs> and then
2: and then i do have another series that, funny enough that i'm going to co-author also uh with my best friend and it's similar i kind of like this like fantasy sci-fi magic um
3: science genre i just always kind of drift towards that yeah. so i feel like everything i write is
2: going to have touches of that no matter what because i i like it i like superpowers and weird abilities yeah. and and magic systems, and I like coming up with the rules for them, so I feel like I'm always going to kind of end up landing there, Um, and then I like ensemble casts a lot. I'm a big sucker for, like, a group of friends causing shenanigans together. That's, like, my favorite thing, so I just, I write that as often as I
3: can.
1: (laughs) That is really great. Um, Yeah, I have, uh, I'm, that's pretty much it. I mean, you really, you really went over a lot of stuff that I think is really fantastic. I think a lot of writers need to hear what you're saying. It's very important. Um, there were some things I wasn't expecting to hear, and I'm really glad you spoke about them. Uh, I'm going to open this up to you. What else would you like to maybe talk about or maybe plug? Um,
2: well, you know, I've, I've got my second book coming out. It's called The Assassin. It'll be out January 23rd, 2021. Oh, which wow. is a fun calendrum date and the same date as tim's release actually we coordinated that because why not yeah it's be great. Fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah so that's the that's the second book in the series it's the dark sentinel series and it will just follow more of Roz's adventures and misadventures so you know first books on amazon second book will be out in january um as for like topics one thing you said just now is you know it's important to demystify stuff i think that's at the core of my belief system. And I think that's just behind everything that I write be it a tweet or an entire book is we need to learn how to talk about these things, not only like the topic itself, but like literally how to have this conversation. A problem I see a lot is we don't even know how to have these conversations. We don't know how to engage in these topics. We don't know how to sit down and say, Hey, I'm having like, ridiculous amounts of anxiety over something that i shouldn't have anxiety over do you think right. maybe i have a disorder and then on the other side people don't know how to respond to that yeah and and i think most people are well-intentioned they they come from love they mean well but they have no idea what to do so they say things like oh don't be anxious and like they're not trying yeah. to yeah. make you feel worse but they kind of accidentally are because they don't know what to do they're completely clueless. are certain areas where i feel like we're all almost like still like little children like no one gave us any guidance in this so we're all just kind of bumbling around in the dark and i think one of the reasons that i like there's some scenes in the in my books where people have these conversations and it's kind of to provide that framework that script like hey what do you do if someone comes to you like this and says something and yeah you might feel confused or overwhelmed but you want to help them so you know maybe approach it like this or like this um because like I said, we, we don't even know how to have the conversations we need to have, and I think that's such an important thing to me, and it's something that I'm constantly trying to communicate to the world.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think in some cases, all if somebody comes to you with an issue, sometimes all they really want is somebody to listen and let them know that they're being heard and it seems like it's so simple and it just doesn't occur to people to just maybe say yeah whatever you want to talk about i'm i'm just going to sit here and i'm going to listen to you and yeah
2: a piece of advice i always give people is ask do you want to be comforted do you want to be given advice or do you just want to vent do you just want to talk or do you want to be distracted Like, what do you need right now? It's okay to ask people that question because you might not know and they might just genuinely want to be distracted. They might be like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it anymore. I want to laugh. I want to watch a stupid show and have fun. And then that's that's okay. Or, Or yeah, they might just need to Blurt it all out and have you just be like, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. That sucks. I, that I'm really sad you're going through that and just kind of be there for them. Humans are inherently problem solvers, which is super cool. And it's why we have this amazing like world we live in with like smartphones and all this stuff. Cause we're constantly solving problems, but that can be really detrimental in an interpersonal relationship setting where someone yeah. just has the emotional need of like, I just need someone. And like I said, like, we don't know how to have these conversations. People don't even know how to communicate that. They don't know how to say, right. hey, I'm just really bummed out right now, and I just need you to, like, hug me yeah. and tell me it's okay. And that's all I want. I don't want solutions. I don't want ideas to solve it. I don't want advice. I just need, like, a hug. Um, we don't know how to say that. And so, and then we get hurt, and then we withdraw, and we don't talk to anybody yeah. ever again about our problems. And it's this horrible cycle, and I, I really just want to break that cycle and and you can, never, you can never just take away a behavior because that, that would leave a void. You need to replace it with a better one. Exactly. So, like, yeah, so I don't want to just tell you, like, don't do that because that's not valuable. Like, if I just say don't tell people what to do when they're sad, you're going to go, what the hell do I do?
1: Exactly. It's like, yeah.
2: here's, here's what you should do. Here are the options presented to you. So I try to do that. I try to give people the tools and the strategies to be prepared for these situations so when they're suddenly encountering someone who's – you know, devastated or heartbroken. I've had
1: friends call me like on the brink of suicide and that's terrifying. Oh, yeah. You're like what yeah. do I every word I say right now has to be just right because yeah.
2: This okay. is so important. And um and I've, I've learned a lot through that. I've learned a lot about just listening. Yeah. Just listening and being there, being present and yeah. not making it about you. I think that's one of the biggest things is we get so caught up in what am I supposed to do? Exactly. You're not supposed to do anything. This is about them. Like you, you can go freak out to one of your friends later, but right now this crisis is happening, and guess what? You're up to that.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I remember you saying, I'm not sure when you said it, but another thing is important that you, s- you said about using fiction. I think that's good, too, because that I think, I, I mean, I, I hear that reading more fiction can make you more empathetic, and I think that's important, because a lot of times if it's non-fiction, uh, it might be almost too clinical or people might not be able to relate to it but fiction for some reason if you read more fiction it can definitely help you with that
2: absolutely because it kind of puts it puts you in someone else's head it puts you in someone else's experience like you're not going to have all the life experiences that exist in the world but if you read a book and then you read another book and you have all these different perspectives from all these different people and they're going through different things and then you feel for them like we've all read a book and been really bumped out about something that happened to these fictional people and it's like that's empathy and that's understanding and you're getting you're getting a better understanding for other people you're also getting a better understanding for relationships if you read a book and you watch someone make a mistake and then things fall apart for them you kind of have like you're emotionally invested but you also have that distance it's a good way to learn and i feel like we know that for children like we like a lot of children's media is geared towards like oh this is how we get along with our friends and our parents and stuff but we kind of forget that like we're always learning. We never stop learning adults learn until the day they die and it's okay for you to still be learning and it's okay to still use fiction as a learning tool. I sometimes I'll see people kind of treat that as like a juvenile, immature, underdeveloped brain thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's actually really smart because it's a good way to kind of like test the waters, practice something, learn a little bit more. Um, one thing i I should mention is i'm starting a youtube channel i don't know when i'll have it up and running but i'll let you know yeah please. and the whole um the whole conceit of it is going to be taking fictional characters and studying their psychology because it's so hard to talk about things like like ptsd that's such a complicated nuanced topic and it can be so hard to understand especially if you don't have it but even if you do especially because it can present in completely different ways in different people. And there's different varieties. There's, there's PTSD, there's complex PTSD yeah. and it can be so hard to explain that. And like you said, it can be really clinical. If you're just sitting there talking about it, it's just really dry. It's just facts. It has no emotion behind it. But like if I take a character and I say, this character has PTSD and this is how they're experiencing it. And this is what they're going through. That makes it a little more like, okay, I watched that movie, and I saw that happen, and I care about this character, and I understand where their trauma's coming from. So I want to basically take various characters and use them to explain psychological principles that are otherwise either too uncomfortable or too weird or too yeah abstract to get into without that baseline of understanding.
1: Wow. Um, th- this is amazing. Like everything you're saying is fantastic. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's about all I have, but I really, I want to thank you for coming on. I, 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 I love this conversation. I think my listeners are going to get so much out of this and, um,
0: it's really, it's really been wonderful having you on my show. And it's been
2: I, wonderful being here. Thank you
3: so much for having me. I really enjoyed this.
0: <laughs> So once again, I would like to thank my guest, Evie Jacob, for just having this conversation with me, uh, both about her writing and about all the other topics that we talked about. I would love to have Evie back on someday. I also would really like to thank Tim Boffman for putting me into contact with Evie Tim I really really appreciate it and uh, you as well are welcome anytime to come back it's always a pleasure speaking to you and finally last but not least definitely not least I want to thank you my listener my listeners excuse me for all of the support all of the feedback you give me I really 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 appreciate it and I I'm just always looking each week to make this more interesting and more helpful for you as writers to uh, to just know what's out there and what possibilities are there for you. Um, I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, so please let me know what you think. Uh, feel free to email me at marissadelefarfalle at gmail.com uh, Check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash MarissaDF uh, and follow me on Twitter if you don't already at, at d 13 or Instagram at www.instagram.com slash MarissaDF13 I would also really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts as it'll help a lot more people find out about the show so until next time Know how powerful your voice can be, whether you're speaking or whether you're putting it down on the page or online, be true to yourself and you never know when you least expect it. Somebody might be reading, somebody might be listening, and they might really need to hear that message, even though you didn't think you were putting one out there. You are, and somebody might be incredibly grateful to hear that or read that. I think we all need a little bit of that right now. Please, please stay safe and peace out.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by Anchor, which is the easiest way to make a podcast.
0: Go to anchor.fm for more info.